First Financial Bank is one of the nation's leading small business lenders, originating nearly 400 million in pharmacy loans. Their lending team has over 75 years of pharmacy experience and includes pharmacists as well as current and former pharmacy owners. They have the industry-specific expertise and knowledge to help you finance your pharmacy. First Financial was approved to offer small business administration loan products under SBA's preferred lender program and offer financing solutions to help practicing pharmacists meet a wide range of business needs, such as acquisition, equipment financing, expansion and remodeling, business refinancing, and startups. Learn more at ffb1.com. That's ffb1.com. Member FDIC. Thanks for tuning in to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The most influential podcast dedicated to the profession of pharmacy with over 80,000 listeners worldwide. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. operating an independent community pharmacy is challenging. Inventory strategies, financial expertise, employment management, and understanding your pharmacy's key performance indicators can make all the difference in your business's success and sustainability within your community. This is Pharmacy Insiders with Bob Grohl. Pharmacy Insiders is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. It's Bob Grohl again. Uh, It's my pleasure to have Alan and Scotty Sykes of Sykes and Company PA joining me to kick off this Pharmacy Insider Series sponsored by First Financial Bank. Alan, Scotty, how are you today? Bob, we're doing great. Glad to be with you today. Well, fantastic. Perfect. Well, a couple things I wanted to talk about today. Uh, last week, uh, there was big news uh, from CVS. And I just wanted to, uh, I had a headline here from uh, CNN Business that says CVS is closing 900 stores and the big winner is Dollar General. Um, I, I wondered if you thought uh, that was the case with uh, the big winner here with uh, CVS. And, and also, what do you think of the CVS closing? Uh, I'll tell you, I, I've, I've seen that announcement as well. I did, did not see the Dollar General announcement, but I did see the announcement they're going to close 300 stores per year over a three-year period of time. And I was talking actually with uh, – a noted pharmacist down in Mississippi this morning, and we were talking about this topic. And my goodness, uh, from a from a from a from a clinical perspective, from a new face perspective, from a vaccine perspective, from uh, from a script filling perspective, what better way to help the independent retail pharmacist of tomorrow? Um, with not only potential labor that is going to be available, but with all those items that are now being handled by CVS stores that uh, will no longer be open. So I just think it's a fabulous opportunity for independents uh, in, in the coming years um, uh, to, to take full advantage of that without question, especially on the clinical side. Bob, I'll, I'll add to that. You know, I... Um... I think what it what it shows, I mean, in addition to what Alan said, I think it it definitely is showing the progression of the industry overall that um, I believe the what CVS mentioned was that they're going to try and focus as a healthcare center for those other pharmacies they have. 
And that's exactly where the industry's headed and, and what pharmacies out there today, independent pharmacies out there today uh, need to continue to be working towards and, and strive to, to, to fill that role, which is again, that healthcare center of their communities and being the go-to resource for, um, for everything really uh, first, first uh, uh, for the healthcare. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely going that way. And, and if you read that again, that um, release by CVS, you'll see that, that they're, they're mentioning that in there. Yeah. I think they even are talking about hiring doctors and nurses now, which they have never done before. And so that really is a different direction. What I was uh, focusing on uh, also though, was uh, it, you know, it mentioned uh, dollar general. Um, I, I, that was CNN, but um, it mentioned Dollar General as being a big winner. But do you think the big box stores and the groceries uh, are going to win here? Or can the independents actually win in this space? And if so, how, how do they go about it? Do they buy scripts or do they um, do marketing? What would you say, Alan? Uh, I that? think clearly they, they just need to market in the areas that CVS is um, going to be closing their operation. Definitely not purchase scripts from CVS. I don't see a need to. Uh, because I think naturally their scripts are gonna uh, are gonna move to the the, the other uh, pharmacies in the particular immediate area that CVSs are located. So I just I think it's a wonderful opportunity. Um, but that said, the independent retail pharmacy of today has got to be ready for it. They got to have the technology in place. They got to have the updated software in place. They've got to have the people in place, got to have facilities in place in order to be able to handle uh, the volume. And in some of these places, it's going to be a, a pretty dramatic change. Because some of these communities, uh, some of these CVS stores are, are handling a lot of volume. Um, I know there's one close to me that handles 12, 1500 scripts a day, which is a very, in a very small community. It's a lot of scripts. Um, so, um, it'll be interesting to see which ones they do close, how quickly they do close these, uh, and, 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 and what's going to happen from that. But I really think, I think the independent pharmacies much more than a dollar general is going to be, be the, be the big winner there. Although obviously, obviously the, the out front aspects of a, of a CVS, uh, not unlike a Walgreens are very critical component for that, uh, for that niche. And and uh, Alan, you and Scotty have seen hundreds of uh, independent community pharmacies from the inside um, for many years. How how prepared do you think financially they are for this uh, this change, or not only this one, but any increase in volume they might see, or any uh, opportunities they might have to capitalize on something in their in their area? Well, coming out of COVID, coming out of the PPP environment, coming out of the EIDL environment that we're still technically in through the end of uh, 2021, frankly, most of our pharmacies are in better cash position today than they've been probably ever if they've handled that correctly. Um, and many of those pharmacies have requested recently EIDL additional funding to boost up their working capital. And clearly if their growth is going to continue uh, on, on any kind of basis that is gonna be substantial, they will need that working capital in order to uh, take care of the growth aspects because 
I uh, don't have to tell you the they got to pay that wholesaler before uh, they get reimbursed in most cases, and they've got to have that working capital. Otherwise, they can literally grow themselves to death. And and I've heard EIDL a lot. Uh, for those who might not know what that is, uh, there may be uh, some folks on uh, listening to this uh, podcast that might not know. Would you just briefly explain what the EIDL is? Yeah, that's the uh, SBA uh, Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program that actually came out, I think, last year with $150,000 max, but it could not be used to pay down any debts. Uh, they came out, I think, September this year. They upped the increase to a potential $2 million uh, arrangement uh, with a tranche of $500,000 uh, up to a $2 million arrangement on top of uh, taking in consideration the 150 that most stores had already received um, with stipulations that they could use that to pay down debts other than the SBA direct indebtedness uh, on a prepayment basis, although it can be used to make payments on a, on a normal and recurring basis. So um, I know I was, again, talking to one this morning, just gotten his incremental $350,000 on top of the 150 he got last year. Uh, his working capital ratios were in the best position they'd ever been. He was able to pay down some higher rate uh, leases that he had on his books. His balance sheet is in the best position it's ever been. He's providing clinical services. He's uh, has done thousands of boosters and vaccines. He's in great shape going into the new year, and he's seeing many, many new patients coming in uh, that used to be going into the big box retailer. So. Um, the EIDL program has been a wonderful boost. It's a fixed interest rate of 3.75, 30-year terms. First two years, uh, there's no payment of principal and interest, although interest accrues. And um, real estate's not involved as far as collateralist. The loan is over 500000 The loan's under 200000 Is uh, uh, There's not even a personal guarantee involved. So it's a very lenient way of... Uh, boosting working capital. Well, one important thing you got to keep in mind with the EIDL is certainly the terms and conditions. Yes. Um, they are, they can be quite onerous. The SBA is going to really have their, their hand in your back pocket per se. Uh, so you have to be comfortable with those terms and conditions um, before you accept any funding there. But I can tell you that if you are approved, let's say you are approved for the 2 million, uh, you do not have to accept it. Um, so, so you can apply, and you, but you don't have to accept if you are approved. So you can get those terms and conditions, and uh, you can also uh, pay it back. So if you do accept it and you realize, you know, this is not a fit for me, I don't, I don't like these terms and conditions or whatever it is, uh, you can prepay, uh, pay that back, no prepayment penalty. So um, definitely have to keep that in mind. Great. Thanks. That's, that's really uh, great information for everybody. Hey, uh, changing topics a little bit. Uh, I went to pharmacy school, as you know, back in the dark ages, I believe, uh, the wholesalers were delivering in uh, horse and wagon at that time. But, um, I got almost no, I didn't have any accounting and almost no, um, uh, financial information as to how to run or operate a store. And I learned from when we bought stores, I learned from the guys that uh, their biggest problem was how big a shoebox did they need to take the um, money to the bank in. So uh, there was very little financial understanding that I had early on. I don't know if that's changed a whole lot, 
But how do you how how would you interpret or how would you say the financial literacy is of the of the average uh, pharmacy owner, especially the new pharmacy owners or or even the ones that have been around for thirty or forty years? Do they have good financial literacy? Do they understand their financial statements? I'll, I, you know, I'll just say that you know they're not teaching business uh, an MBA, you know, in pharmacy school. So generally speaking, it's not an area of expertise for most pharmacies out there, pharmacy owners out there, which is understandable. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a CPA, I'm an accountant. I'm not going to go back there and start filling scripts. Um, so it, it's understandable. But with that being said, you know, there's a litany of resources out there um, where you can get some, some good information. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on in CPA, so on and so forth, but, um, you know, it's, it's an area where uh, you certainly need to, to brush up your skills on. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's fairly common where the, the pharmacy owner is not necessarily a natural business owner. Uh, so it does take some time and, and effort to, to gain those skills. And I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and say, and that's why they need a really good accountant. Hmm. Well, yeah. Bob, you, Bob I'll, I'll take it even one step further. We, we frankly, we're about 50 uh, people working in this industry only, independent retail pharmacy industry. And frankly, we've made a, a, a living in a profession out of pharmacists not having the knowledge they need in the, both the business and the tax arena dealing with uh, pharmacies and independent retail pharmacy business. Um, there's much to be learned in this particular area. Everything is essentially run in the cloud currently. Um, there are all types of applications now that can very um, efficiently run your pharmacy operations, be it, be it payroll, be it accounts payable, be it general ledger, uh, business analytics, et cetera. Uh, but you've got to know what those tools are, how to utilize those tools, and what is in the, your best interest as far as the use of those tools. It is not uh, Uncle Bob or Aunt Jane sitting in the back uh, handling accounting the way it used to be. It is totally or should be totally based in the cloud. It should be based on a real-time basis with real-time information come out of your point-of-sale systems each and every day. Uh, and we have built systems here with applications that are in the marketplace, in the cloud, to make this as efficient as we can. But frankly, we've made a, a big business out of doing just this and, and helping pharmacies uh, utilize this information uh, to make the appropriate management and tax decisions that are so crucial. Because the government's basically a partner in their business, whether they like it or not. And uh, you've got to maximize your cash flow in the business through uh, through proper tax planning. And that's what's occurring right about now, this time of year. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's totally uh, this time of year has uh, always been a brutal time I, when I own stores. Tax planning around now was uh, was top of mind for uh, for us. So and working closely with our accountant at the time. Um, going back to financial statements and understanding them, cash flow statement is probably one of the most misunderstood statements and underutilized statements of the three major uh, financial statements. But a cash flow statement's really not accurate without an accurate inventory. How many of your stores uh, have perpetual inventories, and and how 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 highly would you recommend 
using a perpetual inventory? Well, most of, I would say less than uh, 50% of our pharmacies have a perpetual inventory system tied into their script management system. And we highly recommend that they utilize the system doing this and take periodic cycle counts to verify the accuracy of the information. Because the integrity of the numbers on the balance sheet, whether it's inventory, whether it's receivables, third-party receivables, whether it's payables, notes, cash, whatever, the offset for that is your profit and loss schedule and your statement of cash flow. And if you do not have accurate information for inventory and other key balance sheet items, and there's no way that your P&L and your cash flow statement are going to be accurate. And we, we firmly believe that you've got to put emphasis on this uh, as an independent owner without question. Yeah, when I um, first in initiated a perpetual inventory in one of our stores, um, the first section I did was our fast movers and I picked up about $15,000 in uh, inventory dollars just in overstocked inventory because uh, with a perpetual inventory, we only ordered when we needed it, not having it sitting on the shelf waiting till we needed it. And so um, uh, from a cash flow standpoint, doing a perpetual inventory the first time through, you pick up a, a, a lot of money and it uh, keeps a lot of uh, drugs from sitting on the shelf that, that aren't being used and won't be used for quite a while. Well, it's, it's, it's your biggest expense, Bob. And, and you know, the, the better you have a handle on that, control of that, your finger on the pulse of that inventory, which only about maybe 40, 50% of the pharmacies out there do, um, you know, the better, the better off your cash flow is going to be. Hopefully your profitability is going to be. Uh, your whole pharmacy is going to run better. Um, and so, you know, with the 40, 50% out there that are, that have that there, there's really a lot of opportunity in this area, uh, for pharmacies to really take their inventory management processes, controls to a whole nother level. It does take an investment of time and effort and technology, but, uh, you know, obviously the benefits far outweigh the cost in the long run there. And, and we see it time and time again for pharmacies that are just, that are rocking and rolling with inventory and, and have you know, 20 plus turns a year with their inventory. So a um, lot of opportunity here and uh, technology is making it a little bit easier to, to be able to uh, get your finger on the pulse there. Yeah. And there's, there's a, a labor uh, expense in the beginning because it does take time and, and it is a big effort to get that store inventory to start with. But once it's inventory, the benefits really uh, far away the, the detriments of, of having to invest that time. And you're right, the inventory turns go way up um, once you start doing a perpetual inventory. I always told my people to look at the bottles of drugs sitting on the shelf as a little sacks of money, because that's basically what it is. First Financial Bank is one of the nation's leading small business lenders originating nearly 400 million in pharmacy loans. Their lending team has over 75 years of pharmacy experience and includes pharmacists, current and former pharmacy owners. They have the industry-specific expertise and knowledge to help you finance your pharmacy. Learn more at ffb1.com. That's ffb, the number one, dot com. Changing again topics a little bit. Um, you folks have uh, been in the industry a long time. I'm sure you've uh, worked with a lot of uh, prospective owners who uh, were going in and buying a store um, for the first time. 
Um, what kind of mistakes did they have you seen them make? And and what what advice do you give them? What where, what's the best advice for uh, buying a store? What what do they look at? What should they be aware of? And uh, uh, anything that you've seen uh, that would be uh, beneficial to a new new person, new pharmacist who's just uh, buying their first store. Well, I'll tell you, that's an interesting question, Bob, because a lot of times we'll get a call from a potential um, buyer and the buyer will tell us that I'm buying this pharmacy. I'm paying X dollars for it. And I ask the question, what are you buying? Well, I'm buying the pharmacy. Well, are you buying assets or are you buying common stock? They don't even know. So a lot of times they've already negotiated the price. They don't know necessarily what they're buying. And there are distinct differences between asset purchase and a common stock purchase. And it's a very special tax selections that can be made properly handled, by the way, on a common stock purchase as well. Um, and they are asking us to perform due diligence. Well, it's great that they've got us involved in the due diligence aspects of this, but the fact that you've already set the pricing or at least set, set, set a number in a seller's mind is going to be very difficult to change if during the due diligence timeframe, we come up with entirely different numbers. So if there's one large mistake that we see, it would certainly be um, if you're going to buy a store hire the, the, the professionals in this area, both legal healthcare specialists, regulatory specialists, if, if need be, accounting personnel that have experience dealing with pharmacies, pay the money to do the due diligence properly to make sure that you understand exactly what it is you're buying and how much so that you can maximize the situation. And if a broker is a, a broker for the seller is pushing you uh, to to make a decision, push back. Be willing to walk away from the transaction if need be, because a broker is only interested in one thing: getting you to close the transaction, whether you're making the right decision or not, so he can get paid a commission. That's a very dangerous situation. You need to be aware of that. But those are the kinds of things we run into very typically. Uh, and then for new, uh, a lot of a lot of new pharmacists getting into the business, a lot of times they have already set a lease um, for a long period of time and personally guaranteed it, and don't understand the ramifications of a personal guarantee. So there's a lot of mistakes that we see um, with potential buyers um, or folks doing startup pharmacies, where you just really need to reach out. And, uh, and, and find those folks in the industry that can assist you uh, with that due diligence process. And, and I've always said you, you need a team yes. assembled before you get started. Absolutely, and, you do. And, and so, uh, you know, my, my short list is, is an accountant, uh, a, a lawyer who understands pharmacy, an accountant who understands pharmacy like Sykes and Company, a banker. If you're borrowing money, you want to be borrowing from a bank that, like First Financial Bank, that's sponsoring this podcast, that understands the industry of pharmacy and lending in the world of pharmacy. Um, you'll you'll want to have a wholesaler lined up. Um, I, I'm probably leaving some people out of that list, but that's kind of my short list. Uh, Owen, you agree with that? Bob, I would, let me let me just reiterate on the banking side: a pharmacy niche bank like First Financial is crucial. 
in the process of making the right decisions. Because if you, if you have a local bank or regional or national bank, you've got banking friends, they don't know a thing in the world about pharmacies, DRFEs, PBMs, how cash flow operates in a pharmacy. Whereas if you go to someone like First Financial Bank that deals in this particular niche with literally hundreds of transactions over many, many years, you you are far you are at a distinct advantage in dealing with the process than if you uh, try to recreate a situation on a local or regional basis with a bank that doesn't know anything about the industry. And I'm sure I'm sure you've seen that over the years. Oh, way too much. <laughs> I, I know. And and First Financial Bank, you mentioned they've done over 400 million in uh, pharmacy loans, so they're quite uh, quite experienced. Quite experienced. And, yeah. Now you mentioned DIR fees. Um, I I really don't understand because uh, I got out of the industry before be, uh, got out of the ownership before DIR fees came into the world. How on earth do you figure your cost of goods when you have no idea what that number is going to be that they're going to charge you for months later? It's it's very it's very difficult. Um, although some softwares. Uh, systems now are attempting to provide that information before you fill a script. But generally speaking, um, most of the third-party reconciliation software systems that are out there provide month-end reports that show what has been taken out by the various third parties. Hmm. Although there are some that uh, do this either on a trimester basis, like CVS Caremark, for example, and sometimes it doesn't come to three or four months later, which makes it even more difficult to be able to determine what your costs are for requisite period of time. Uh, but it, 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 is, it, is a, it, it is a process that um, we're seeing about a three and a half percent of total accrued revenues being the expense for 2021. And most of our pharmacies, that's up from about two and a half percent last year. Um, that information, uh, again, is coming from the third-party reconciliation systems that we're able to get. It's not perfect. It doesn't include everything in some instances, but uh, that's that's what we do here in order to be able to handle the accrual accounting properly. One other thing that I've seen in the news lately, uh, it, it's not news to me, but uh, apparently it's uh, hitting the news a lot more now. Uh, Kaiser Health News reported on it. Uh, the Washington Post reported on it, and that's how rural com communities are losing their pharmacies. Ha ha you have you have pharmacies all over the country. Have you seen uh, a diminishing number of rural pharmacies or pharmacies in rural communities going out of business? Yes, yes, there have been pharmacies, uh, especially in rural areas, um, that have uh, gone by the wayside directly as a result of DRFEs and the inability to either to account or to understand the complexities of that one particular issue on the financial statements and the impact is on their cash flow. But clearly um, that is having an impact on the industry. Uh, and again, you throw this CVS situation on top of it. Uh, and, and, and yet um, the uh, NCPA ownership workshop that you that first financial is involved in, I believe. Yes. Um, we are seeing a great number of new startup interest more much more so than ever before in the last few years. So 
we're seeing more of a startup interest um, than we've ever seen before because many boomers are not ready to sell. Uh, they either got unrealistic ideas about what their pharmacies are worth. And so it leaves many pharmacists that are out there because there's still about 135 pharmacy schools in the country, I'm thinking, uh, putting out a number of students every year and there's just not enough pharmacists uh, pharmacies now to take care of the pharmacists that are on the marketplace. And with the closure of those 900 CVS stores, that problem is going to be exacerbated. Well, I'll, I'll just chime in here. What, you know, those pharmacies that are closing down and feeling the, the impacts of those DR fees, uh, a lot of, a lot of those, not all of them, but a lot of those are pharmacies that just have not been able to adapt to the changing times that we're all facing. Um, in other words, turning into that healthcare center in their in their communities rather than uh, just filling prescriptions. I mean, just filling prescriptions in your pharmacy is extremely difficult. It's getting more and more difficult uh, to operate in that environment um, uh, in today's world. So you have to continue to change and, and update and evolve and uh, get into other services, get in, in into other revenue opportunities, uh, diversify where you can um, and grow that margin in other ways other than filling prescriptions. And that that's just what's, what it's going to take until uh, until and uh, something ever happens to the DR fee reform there. So um, that's that's what you will commonly see is, again, those those pharmacies out there who are just filling those prescriptions and uh, not really willing or able to uh, branch and, and diversify that revenue and that margin. And, and all in on, uh, you've mentioned on a couple of times, startup pharmacies, you work a lot, you work with startup pharmacies. Uh, probably one of the few accounting firms that actually does specialize in startup pharmacies. Um, I know first financial bank, uh, will do startup pharmacies, um, on a selected basis. What, from a financial standpoint, what what does uh, a pharmacist need, a potential uh, startup owner need to have uh, in his back pocket from a financial uh, uh, standpoint? And what what where should they start? What do they need to look for uh, to really be successful? You've seen the successful startup pharmacies. What what are the attributes of one of those? Oh, there's there's so many attributes that they need to make sure they've got correct, Bob. Starting from making sure they attend the NCPA ownership workshop, which is given is going to be given next year four times a year. I've just got the schedule this morning. To making sure they've got the appropriate uh, equity injection, uh, because it's going to take on a startup arrangement. And, and and I hope you're sitting down, but it's going to take five to $600,000 of either debt or equity capital or a combination of both to be successful so they can get cash flow positive. Because if you think about it, a pharmacy typically in a startup arrangement, you want, you want that pharmacy to be profitable within a 18 month period of time, two years at the max. So for all intents and purposes, once that initial ejection of capital and debt, comes into play, they're probably not going to be able to borrow money for at least two years out because no bank is going to lend them money after the first year, most likely with losses. And it's going to take that second full end of year fiscal uh, financial statement to be able to show somebody 
that you're profitably growing and you need more funding, assuming that you, you have some growth there. But you've got to have the right demographics, the right wholesaler, the right buying group. Uh, you got to have the right accounting system, the right financial team in place, as you mentioned, the right bank, the right legal health care team, the right accountant, the right tax people involved. There's just so many things, uh, the right marketing, um, making sure that you've got the right location, uh, right technology. Uh, again, starting with the NCP Ownership Workshop is the best place to start. Uh, we believe getting that base of information for two or three days and having all the experts in the industry that are at one place at one time where you can get questions answered. But Bob, I think that really serves as, as kind of the starting place for anybody interested in, in startup pharmacies. Uh, thanks, Alan. And when I was, I was with, uh, as the listeners may know, I was with uh, McKesson uh, with the uh, RX ownership program for a number of years. And we saw a lot of startups and I categorized them into two kind of general categories. And that was uh, Greenfield where there hadn't been a, an independent before and somebody wanted to open an independent and then backfill. And that's where um, a major independent closed mm -hmm. or sold to a chain or a chain like CVS decided to close their branches in that in that location, their their operations, and so uh, backfills were the were the number one leading uh, group of uh, that would ramp up the quickest. Um, their ramp yep. up was much faster than a greenfield, and um, when also when you look at uh, buying a, an existing pharmacy because there's a lot of them out there for sale. Um, the uh, break-even on invested capital occurs much quicker with a uh, purchase than it does with a startup. So, um, you know, those, that's what I was looking at. I, I think you've probably seen that also with the uh, yes, the back yes, we situation. have, Bob. And I think even that CVS situation is going to exacerbate that even further, uh, as far as with closing locations and with opportunities that can be backfilled by new startup pharmacies. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that's a that's a, a great uh, opportunity for for the independents. Um, I've covered mostly what I had on my notes. Alan, you have anything else to talk uh, to to speak to about uh, the financial? We're we're focusing on the financial side of pharmacy. Any other advice or uh, Scotty? Anything else you'd like to throw in on this? Scotty, you want to say it first? Yeah, you know, I'll just mention. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there today, and um, pharmacies that are. Uh, can think outside the box a little bit. There's a lot of uh, COVID relief still out there. Um, so cash flows available, generally speaking, uh, you know, opportunities, diversify revenues constantly um, being pushed out there. So a lot of opportunities for pharmacies to really just take it to a whole nother level. So, you know, to me, it's an exciting time to be a pharmacy owner out there. I would totally agree. And I think with the technology and with the updates constantly are being pushed out there with the impact that, that technology is having on labor and with the opportunities to be the healthcare center in your particular area uh, and with uh, things like uh, med syncing, uh, things of that nature, compliance packaging. Oh, my Lord, what an opportunity for pharmacies in today's world. Uh, and there's just so much of an opportunity, uh, but you've got to get out of the mindset of just filling scripts and scripts only, because if you're doing that in 
four or five years, you may not be around. If that's all, all that you're doing, you've got to expand in these other outlying areas, Bob. Otherwise, um, uh, DRFEs may completely eat you up. Well, thank you. Thank you both. Uh, thank you, Scott, Scotty and Alan for being on today. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, just a reminder to our folks out there, um, you're, you really do need, if you're going to be in the business, a solid accounting firm that specializes in, in pharmacy. Uh, they're hard to find, but Sykes and Company is one of them. So keep that in mind. And also a thank you to First Financial Bank for sponsoring this uh, series on, on Pharmacy Insiders. So thanks again and uh, stay tuned. Our next episode will be coming up uh, pretty soon. And if you want to get hold of me, my uh, email address is bob.grawl, G-R-A-U-L, at gmail.com. That's bob.grawl at gmail.com. And my office phone number is 775-392-2867. That's 775-392-2867. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Insiders. To access all of the podcasts on the Pharmacy Podcast Network, visit us at pharmacypodcast.com. Thank you.